Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Grzbowski, and this is a Blind Entrepreneurship bonus episode brought to you by Penji, a podcast that helps entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision to profitability. This week's episode is all about taking your business to the next level. We talked to an agency owner and also a startup founder, and we figured why not have some diversity to learn more about the different types of businesses that can scale and all the different types of businesses that can grow and eventually take it to the next level. We talk about good infrastructure, training, sacrifices, and two very personal stories about their past relationships and future relationships, uh, scaling, and so much more. This interview was conducted by Sakina Brody, the Director of Partnerships here at Penji, during one of our Penji Masterclass series. And I think this is a good point of reference to new entrepreneurs, um, but also to a, a good reminder to the more seasoned entrepreneur to think back and remember where you once were. Maybe get a good laugh, maybe a sigh of relief, and think to yourself, man, that's not me anymore. But regardless, as always, please reach out at any time. Connect with us directly under the under the username at J or head over to tbeshow.com for more interviews just like this one. And we would love to hear from you by dropping a comment. Catch you next Tuesday. But until then, go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on our live webinar. Today's topic is when to take your small business to the next level. My name is Sakina. I'm the director of partnerships here at Penji, and I'll also be the moderator of today's panel. And I'm also joined by two business professionals with two very unique perspectives. We have Garrett Gillen of 215 Marketing and Jack Perota of Vitrus. So at this time, I'll allow Garrett and Jack to introduce themselves and tell you guys a little bit about who they are and what they do. So if you guys can give just like a brief 30 second introduction to the audience and let them know what it is that you do. Garrett, you can you can start. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining everybody. My name is Garrett Gillen. I'm a founder and principal at 215 Marketing. We're a lifecycle marketing company located in Northern Liberties, Philadelphia. Um, work with all types of businesses, pretty industry agnostic. I've uh, been doing this for six years and this actually started during our MBA at Drexel. My co-founder and I were in the same cohort and uh, what started as freelance consulting basically blossomed into a full service agency. And uh, six years later, we're a team of 10. Uh, and again, just uh, yeah, been through all the trials and tribulations of startups. So hopefully we can you know, get some good advice in today's call. <laughs> yeah. And Jack, what about you? Awesome. Yeah. So um, I'm hello, everyone, as well. Uh, I'm Jack uh, Parada. I'm the founder of Vitrus. Uh, what we do is we've built uh, digital marketing automation software. Um, so we pulled together a couple of different um, pieces of digital marketing software that small businesses need to use, such as content management system for your website. Um, we integrate with CRM, uh, integrate with different connections with uh, search engines, social media, um, do all of that to automate certain tasks for small business owners in service-based industries. Um, so we have an office as well here in Center City, Philadelphia, in a co-working space. Um, actually, Sakini, we're just here uh, about a week or two ago. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a team of six. We've been doing it for about a year now and um, just continue to grow and love working with uh, entrepreneurs and hope to uh, provide as much insight and help as I can to small business owners. 
Awesome, awesome. Thank you guys for those introductions. So this question is for the both of you. What was that moment that you first realized that your business was starting to gain traction? So I know within a startup, there's a long journey and I feel like every business owner has that moment that they feel like things are finally starting to take off. Um, Jack, what about for you? What was that moment and what did that feel like? Yeah, so that moment actually happened fairly recently for us. Um, once we uh, crossed over, um, having over 60 client accounts, um, which happened a couple, just a couple of months ago. Um, and so there was a lot of um, hard work that has to go into any uh, business as you're starting out to try and gain traction. Um, and a lot of times you can like second guess what you're doing is actually effective, um, if it's actually worth your time because it doesn't seem to be yielding the results. Um, but we just kind of kept on hammering away and you know, figured out which acquisition channels were the most effective for us. Um, and then once we kind of developed a, a clear kind of like system of prospecting, bringing clients on and then over delivering for them, um, then it just kind of, uh, it feels kind of relieving, but then at the same time, then now it's okay, wow, now I have this tidal wave of work to do and now let's kind of take it to the next gear and keep going. Mm -hmm. And Garrett, what about for you? What was that moment? Yeah, I think, you know, traction is an interesting word. We never really had a problem acquiring businesses. Uh, so the business has really kind of gone through these evolutions. Like I said, it started off as more consultancy. Um, so we were always, you know, profitable from day one as clients and we were fortunate to have a good network of um, entrepreneurs and friends so those were really our first clients i think to me uh sort of the turning point of the company was when things stopped being so painful so i think you know to jack's point like when when are you not working 60 70 hours when are you not answering calls you know at nine o'clock at night things like that um that probably took us three years, I would say, probably three or four years. So I would say the past two years um, have been much more frictionless. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with our process protocols and infrastructure that we've developed as a company. Uh, what's interesting about 215, we're not really a single service shop. We act as more of a supplement. So we work uh, primarily with existing departments that need additional employees, but don't want to pay that overhead. So we're uh, you know, doing a whole lot of stuff, uh, whether it's, you know, implementing and recommending marketing automation products or websites, advertising, design support, all of that. Uh, and the more things you offer, the more uh, difficult it is to train people to also do those things. So that was very painful for us to, you know, how do we create these TCA marketers or hire those people? When are we going to reach a point of cash flow? Um, so yeah, I would say three years. And, and most of that I would attribute to just developing good infrastructure and training during that point. Got you. You also touched on how at one point you were working 60 hour weeks and, you know, you wanted to know when things would kind of balance out and be more more stable. What are some of the other sacrifices that you've had to make personally and professionally in order to get to the next level? And, you know, that this can also be like a, a point of reference for other entrepreneurs that are listening because they need to know that there are going to be some sacrifices that they have to make. So what are what were some of those for you? Do uh, You want me to answer first? Yeah, you can you can yeah. start. Oh, man, uh, I could go on all day about this, I think. <laughs> I can tell you that it definitely didn't make my uh, girlfriend happy throughout this <laughs> process. Um, so any sort of personal relationships definitely are sacrificed to a certain extent while you're building a business, regardless of what that business is. Um, I would say primarily that I think that it had a big impact on uh, personal relationships and uh, 
you know, obviously if you have a significant other, those relationships probably took the biggest toll. Um, you know, luckily we both stuck through it and we just had a, a baby actually seven months ago. So oh, wow. thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thankfully things are, you know, good now. <laughs> I don't that as much. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think just those relationships, and I think that a lot of people, uh, you read a lot of articles online about work-life balance and all this, and mm -hmm. to be quite honest, like that's part of my French, it's a little bit bullshit. I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't be where you want to be as fast as you want to be there if you're not putting in the time, um, and nobody comes with a, you know, with a full plan. I mean, you figure things out as you go. Uh, so I just think that's unrealistic for people that might enter business sort of once that's balance i don't think that's that's very realistic for most people um at least for the first at least year i would say yeah. and jack what about for you what are some of the sacrifices you had to make personally and, and professionally yeah i as well as uh garrett you know i would say the biggest sacrifice was my uh, personal relationship with my girlfriend we have been dating um for uh, over five years now um so just you know and she kind of knew that this was the life path I wanted to take entrepreneurship and understood that that would require a certain amount of sacrifice in the beginning while we're, while I'm in my twenties and thirties. Um, and so she was understanding, but you know, there's always, you know, I found that I had to, you have to really dedicate and make time because it can be really easy to just, you know, kind of like be head to the grindstone, just head down and working. Um, I would say that for all the entrepreneur entrepreneurs out there that are, um, kind of like grinding, as people like to say, I think one of the most important things when you're putting in a 70, 80 hour week, whatever it is, um, is that you make sure that you're being really effective in those hours if you're going to make the sacrifice and just put the time in. Because I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who they put the time in, but it seems like they're just kind of all over the place. There's no focus. So there certainly has to be a really good balance between really strong work ethic, but then also a dedication to kind of what your strategy is and how you're going to achieve your goals and making sure that you're not just kind of putting your time in to put your time in. Mm. I actually want you to expand on that a little bit more. Um, mm. Even earlier, you talked about doing things early on that you might not have known would work, but you would keep trying them or you would stop them if it seemed like um, it wasn't working. So I'm sure every entrepreneur goes through that moment where they feel kind of lost or stuck in their business. Can you give any advice to them about how to move forward and, and keep moving even if they do feel stuck? Right. Yeah, I think that. Um, so I'll give an example is in the beginning when we were first starting off, I was spending a lot of time um, going around to small business owners and meeting with them, trying to get, uh, you know, time with the owner, the decision maker, um, which just took a lot of time when you go out to someone's location, even if they are within the city, mm -hmm. you know, my main way to commute is uh, public transit. So there's always uncertainties. There's always a lot of commute time involved. Um, and so I did that a lot in the beginning because it was absolutely necessary to get our revenue to a point where we were net cash flow positive um, and was willing to make that sacrifice in the beginning as we were trying to develop the other channels. Um, and so, you know, kind of contradicting to what I just said, where you have to work efficiently and not just put the hours in. Sometimes it does take, you know, putting the extra hustle that you know is going to pay off because when we looked at the numbers, it was if I got an in-person meeting with the decision maker, then I had a 50% close rate with that person. Mm -hmm. So it made sense for me to go out and try to get those meetings if it was, you know, just being on the sidewalk and going into different businesses. Um, 
So, you know, I think it's really important to look at the numbers and what's working, what's not working. I think that if we would have looked at those numbers and said, okay, out of the 10 meetings that you had yesterday, only one of them signed up or two of them, then, you know, maybe we would have had a different response to me continuing to go out and trying to get those clients. Mm-hmm. And Garrett, what about for you? What, what advice can you give to other business owners that might feel lost or stuck, or maybe talk about a time where you felt that way? Yeah. Um, I don't think we've ever felt lost and stuck. I think that um, we've been frustrated at times because, uh, you know, you almost see where the problem is, but to fix it is almost, uh, it's very difficult. It's either like because of a contract that you thought would have worked and then it's wrong now, <laughs> or like a pricing <laughs> model that you thought would work and now it's wrong now. And you have to convince somebody that, hey, um, we're switching it and, and here's the reason. Um, so I think that that's probably our uh, sort of biggest struggles that we've had is contract changes that kind of dictated how we wanted to work with our uh, you know partners or, or our clients. And I think a lot of times, especially in the service business, and I think uh, you know in this call it might be a little bit biased because Jack and I are both in the service space. Um, a lot of it has to do with you know what is that relationship you have with your clients or your customers, um, and in the contract you know, whether you're doing a prepay or a postpay engagement or an hourly or, you know, a fixed price, um, all those things matter, right? And they all affect your ability to run an effective business and also have a good relationship with your client. Um, Although the company, like I said, that whole three-year mark where things started feeling a lot easier as a company, I would say probably just in the last year, um, our contractual engagements um, have reached a point to where right now I think that we're spot on. And I think that that helps us have a, a much better uh, relationship, you know, with our clients. So we build time and material. Uh, we do a prepay retainer. So we don't get paid after we do work. We get all of it up front and then we just draw on it like an attorney. Um, that's helped us a tremendous amount. So I think just figuring out that, you know, what is your business model? What's the most effective way to run that from a contractual perspective uh, with your clients? Um, and that takes time and it's trials and, uh, you know, you have to try a bunch of things and see how people react and all yeah. that. So yeah, that's probably my, my biggest, um, lesson there. But I, I think the one thing I want to point out is just, uh, a business partner. I was very fortunate and I'm still very fortunate to have a really strong business partner, um, that we have, you know, it's like a Venn diagram, you know, he has certain strengths. I have certain strengths. Mm-hmm. We agree at the core, um, with all of our decisions, but, uh, he's much better suited for sales um, operation, things like that. I'm much more on the production side for actually executing Mm. work and managing teams. Um, so that's been really beneficial. And, and, you know, I'm not sure if Jack, you have a co-founder, but, um, I would definitely urge everyone out there to entertain that and explore that and try to find people to team up with, because it's very difficult to do it on your own. I have a lot of friends and a lot of clients that are single, you know, person, um, startups or small businesses, and you get stuck doing everything and it, it almost makes you inefficient and it, it makes you busy, but you're not very productive because you're not focusing on the business. You're focusing on, I don't know, you know, getting your taxes together and right. uh, reading resumes, <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, actually I, a really good, go ahead, Jack. Did you want to add uh, to that? Yeah. I was just going to piggyback off of what Garrett said, because I think that's absolutely correct. I also have a co-founder um, and so somehow convinced him to stop his 
six figure job at Amazon, come do the startup with me where we had no guaranteed salary when we started. <laughs> um, and uh, not only is it nice to just have that person that, you know, has that mentality of wanting to build something, but as well, it's kind of, we were constantly pushing each other in the beginning um, and, uh, you know, to try and get the most out of each other. Um, we had that same thing with what Garrett just said, that kind of Venn diagram where our strengths really played well with each other. Um, and then we always had that kind of like middle ground of this is the direction that we need to go. And I, I think that um, having a co-founder is probably one of the most important variables in making sure that your company is successful because it's that other person that is uh, is in it with you every single day, is a sounding board, brings that other perspective um, so that you always know that you're, you know, making the best decisions um, yeah. based off what the two of you want to do. Yeah. So we know that the co-founder and the person that you decide to go into business with is extremely important, but also your team is important as well. I, I know you both said you have pretty small teams at the moment. How important is it to ensure a healthy team culture? Um, and what are some ways that you do that? Jack, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. So, um, yeah, we still have a very small six person team. Um, and uh, what we do is, um, well, number one, we're all just very close because that's kind of the people that you work with when you're in a startup were just people that we either knew or knew through association with friends. Um, so we have like a natural bond with each other. Um, but as well, what we've prioritized is we at least we dedicate uh, one hour a week to uh, what we call a weekly roundtable. And in the corporate world, it would be compared to a scrum meeting. Um, and that's where we can all kind of come together and share what we've been working on and then see what everyone else has been working on. Um, give our kind of advice uh, and just kind of see what's going on in the fold uh, business instead of just kind of being so siloed. Yeah. Garrett, what about for you? How do you ensure a healthy team culture? So I guess is it more about culture or uh, effective employees? Oh. I, I'm not sure those are the same thing. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I mean, for me, uh, a healthy work environment is going to ensure that I'm effective at work and productive. So for me, they tie into each other. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, early on when you're starting a company, you most of the time, I would say, um, unless you're VC backed or I don't know, you guys are all working at Facebook and decide to leave and start something, uh, you usually don't have the resources to pay top tier people, right? So I guess culture really is important for those early employees, but at the same time, those early employees are probably not super experienced, right? They might, they might have raw talent, but they probably lack industry experience or tactical experience, things like that. Um, and I think we actually um, encountered that quite a bit. I mean, our early employees were totally inexperienced people that we had to train up, right? And we were having them fill more, uh, you know, simple roles. My business partner and I were really leading the vast majority of the, the work and strategy. Um, I would say that with that uh, early on, we relied a lot on contractors and to a certain degree, we still do depending on the scope of work. Um, and I would sort of urge, I guess, maybe the people listening to consider that in 2019 and beyond, uh, you don't necessarily need to develop a team as traditionally as thought, you know, an in-office team, people around you to be successful. Um, if you're having problems getting the work done or uh, having the right people or finding the right people, whether they're cultural or experiential fits, um, you can leverage contractors and it's almost more cost effective. Um, and you don't have to worry about, you know, are they comfortable in your office space because they're, you know, chilling on the beach <laughs> somewhere <laughs> on the laptop. Um, yeah. 
So I think that's really been a benefit. Um, starting a business in today's day and age is leveraging contractors because they're comfortable in their setting, but you still get experience and expertise and you get the cost savings. Um, but I would say early on, uh, yeah, I, it's sort of a balance of like, you're hiring people for a culture that want to work really hard and learn because you can't afford top tier talent. But right now at our point as a company, um, I think we're kind of rethinking that, you know, we need extremely, extremely talented individuals. And uh, we obviously want to maintain a culture, but then you start getting into, um, you know, necessarily sometimes it's not as important that they're the perfect cultural fit. You need great, great people. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, we're, we're encountering these sort of considerations now, and I don't really have an answer for you. <laughs> the trade-off totally will be, but um, we are experiencing that sort of argument between perfect cultural fit versus perfect talent fit. Um, and they're not always aligned. Yeah. Do you see yourself having uh, like a fully in-office team at some point, or, or will it be kind of non-traditional where everyone works remotely mm -hmm. and you guys kind of come together at that yeah. Well, we, so we have 10 in office employees that include my business partner and I, but we probably hire two to three contractors or full-time at any time. And we'll, you know, hire up, uh, if we need additional copywriters, I mean, we'll hire a copywriter, you know, to get brought in. Um, I don't think that'll change. I think that would be, I think that would be a mistake to think that you need an in-house team for, uh, variable type projects and variable, variable type work. Gotcha. When it comes to marketing uh, for both of you guys, how do you decide what's a worthy investment and what is not? So I'm sure there's definitely things that you've tried, maybe on the advertising side or social media side. How do you decide what's worthy to keep going on with? Uh, I'll, I, I'll start with this one. <laughs> um, so uh, we are very data driven here. So we look at all of the numbers and what we're spending for each uh, channel for customer acquisition. Um, we uh, know what our lifetime value of our customer is and then whichever channels are um, not necessarily the lowest customer acquisition cost because whatever the lowest, you know, like I would say probably referrals are lowest customer acquisition cost. Um, it's not always the most effective because it's really not as um, guaranteed and there's no uh, real system behind it. Um, but we just kind of, we, it's tracking all those numbers and understanding what each client is worth to you, where you acquired them, and then making the decisions to continue reinvesting in certain channels. Um, as long as you can kind of develop that system, uh, for acquiring customers. Yeah. And Garrett, what about for you? Yeah, I think, um, this totally depends on your business model and, you know, where you're positioning in the market. So we're not a volume, uh, agency. Our goal isn't to have a hundred accounts. Um, our average retainer is six figures a year. So we don't need many, <laughs> right, to, to make a, a lot of uh, a revenue or profit around here. So, um, you know, with us, we've never actually invested in advertising and marketing with the goal of lead generation. I mean, we'll invest more for, I guess, community involvement reasons. Um, a lot of ours comes from referrals, uh, networking events, uh, event marketing, we do small business seminars. Uh, my business partner and I are both adjunct professors. So um, we do a lot of educational stuff with the community and that's led to um, you know, good opportunities, but those are usually curated events. Um, so yeah, I think it depends you know, on your business model. And if you're a volume business, then yeah, you're probably investing and in taking into consideration LV and acquisition costs and, and things like that. How do you both stay mentally healthy with, with all the ups and downs that come with entrepreneurship and, and running your own business? 
How do you avoid the the burnout? That is, I think that's what people call it. How do you avoid that? Uh, Garrett, you want to start? Yeah, I don't think you avoid it. I, I think that you encounter it and then uh, you deal with it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's often that I'm, you know, you feel overworked and, uh, you know, stressed out. And, and again, when you're running a business, everybody thinks you can concentrate on, you know, what you said you want the business to do. Like, I don't know, you know, Jack Lance is the same way, but marketing is actually probably 20% of what I think about, right? It's more about operations, protocols, in, in hiring, training, those kind of things. So you're just having to juggle all these things. So it's, it's very stressful. Um, and yeah, you just feel burnt out. But I think it's just, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is a war of attrition and whoever has the highest pain tolerance usually wins. Um, so I would say it's more about just moving forward and you have to be willing to incur that discomfort um, and push through it. And the people that push through it are the people that, you know, if they can last five years of enduring that type of pain, then they're probably going to be successful. But, uh, you know, a lot of people give up because they don't want to deal with that, that level of discomfort. What about for you, yeah. Jack? What are some ways that you stay mentally healthy? Yeah, so uh, kind of everything that Garrett said is true. It's really tough. You're going to have to encounter it at one point or another. Uh, I would say, like, um, I spend about 40% of my time doing actual uh, programming and application development um, for our software. So I always try to kind of uh, set my days that I kind of break up those different things I have to do between uh, customer acquisition, development, um, you know, some of the other operational things that I have to do. Um, and so that I have kind of like nice breaks and it feels like I'm doing a lot of different things throughout the day, but, and I don't get to kind of like drill down on one monotonous task. And that kind of makes like a 10 or 12 hour day go, uh, faster. But I think as well, what I try and do on like a weekly basis is I try to take at least one, uh, weekend day where I am not working. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I'm just going to work seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And I think some weeks you might need to do that, especially if you're on deadline. Um, like for us, the deadline is when we have to make a release, we have development sprint cycles. Um, and if we're coming to the end of that and we're not, everything's not all ready, then we have to put in a lot more time. Um, so I try and take at least one day a week. And then as well tonight, like I'm leaving for Florida and I'm going on vacation and I'm taking the, uh, you know, so setting aside time to kind of take a break. Um, and I think when you're away on that break, I'm going to put my email autoresponder on and mm. I'm not going to be actively engaged in um, at least some of the, you know, things that are a little bit more tedious. I will do just because I personally enjoy coding. I probably will do a little bit of coding while I'm there, but I can do that on the beach. Like Gary said, it's a little <laughs> bit nicer than doing it in the office. Right. Jack, how dare you take a big <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Seriously, I know. Cam, Cam, my co-founder, he uh, gave me a little bit of gruff about it, but you got to do it. What are What are some ways that you both have bounced back from failures in business, which are an inevitable part of of business? What are some ways that you were able to bounce back and keep going? Like Garrett, you said, there's. Uh, going to be a level of discomfort that everyone is going to have to face within their journey. So, how does how does someone get back up from a, a failure? Yeah. Um, man, we've had a lot here. Uh, a lot of setbacks. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it pure failures or setbacks. Um, we had a, an issue that was a, a contract problem with a client and um, scope of work issue that basically led to, you know, a very, very large outstanding invoice um, that we could not 
we were not really uh, able to deal with at the time, right? The hiring that we were going through, the, the clients that we were dealing with, all of that. Um, and that kind of thing added a tremendous amount of stress uh, to, the, to the entire team, you know, which is a, a real big problem. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that's happened here. And that probably happened three years ago. Um, I think with that, and this is funny because it's coming full circle with your culture, you know, question when you're a startup and I think the people that work at the company, uh, they have to care about the company more in a small business environment. Uh, and I think you're hiring for that. You want people that truly care. And when that setback happened for the company, we sat everybody down, told them what was happening. And we were like, we need more out of everybody. We need to overcome this as a team. Um, and everybody was, you know, gung ho. So I think that, you know, how do you overcome setbacks as a company? And, and I think it goes into the team and the co-founder situation. You need to come together and just push through it um, as a team. And everybody needs to be fully, you know, on board. Um, and you need to communicate with those around you, whether it's uh, not only your team and your co-founder, but also if you're going through a situation in business and it's going to affect possibly your performance, you need to communicate with your clients and your customers. Mm -hmm. um, communication, that's really it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Jack, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think what he said with failure and setbacks, um, I see every single failure failure that we have as kind of an opportunity to learn because we have such like a very small history of doing things. We have to take risks and try different things and not everything that you try. In fact, most of the things that you try are probably not going to work out the way that you wanted them to. Um, but it's just really important to be able to measure what the results were and learn from those things so that you continue to get better and those mistakes don't happen again. The only thing that I really get upset about with failures is when we have failures that we had in the past and we did before um, and they happened again. So I think as long as we're not repeating our mistakes, then I'm okay with making mistakes. That's part of doing this. That's part of taking risks and being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Garrett, earlier you talked about how you hire contractors and how that's really a cost effective way for you to, to keep business going. What are some other cost effective ways that someone can market there at the time if they have a small business and gain customers? What are some things that they can do if they don't really have a lot of money? Uh, well, yeah, I think it kind of depends again on what the business is. Um, if they don't have money and they want cost effective ways to do that, I mean, I think it's old school, shaking hands, kissing babies, uh, you know, you know event, events, uh, networking events, things like that. Cold yeah. outreach and this whole like growth marketing, growth hacking thing that everyone's hearing about. I mean, that's that's real, that works. We utilize some of those tactics. Uh, using things like outreach.io, reply.io to automate sales, you know, cold emailing, um, you know, taking some of that legwork off you. That's really the most cost effective because it's not, it's not a financial cost, it's a time cost, right? Um, and you should definitely exploit as an entrepreneur, you should exploit whatever time you have before you start thinking about investing capital, right? If you have time, you should be doing events, networking, direct outreach on LinkedIn, email, calls, uh, to Jack's point, knocking on doors, stopping in, talking to business owners. Um, you should definitely exploit that before you think about throwing money on the table into advertising and things that, um, you know, are going to cost actual money. <laughs> yeah. And social media too. That's a, a great way to get started. Anything organic. Mm -hmm. Jack, what about for you? What are some cost-effective ways that you think people can market their small businesses and, and gain some customers? Yeah. So that's actually kind of the opportunity that we are trying to uh, take advantage of and uh, help small business owners is really effectively uh, market 
their business without putting on a huge amount of labor input. Um, and this is really when I talk about small business owners uh, in service-based industries, uh, solo entrepreneurs, less than five employees. These are most of the people that we work with. And, um, you know, everything that cares, I mean, there's a lot of free tools. You can learn um, everything you want. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to um, doing as well, a really good job, making sure all your customers are satisfied with your services uh, or product because they're ultimately going to be a really effective channel for new customer acquisition. In most cases, it's really tough to generalize as Gary was saying, um, every single industry uh, has different things that work and don't work. Um, but that's one of the things that we found is over delivering for our customers, doing a really good job and delivering value. Um, and especially in this day and age when everyone can communicate um, with just a press of a button, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that good word spreads like wildfire and it, it pays dividends down the line. Yeah. How do you yeah. both measure impact in your work? So is it the amount of sales that you have? Is it your peace of mind? Is it how happy your family is? What are some things that you look at as, you know, to measure impact in your work? Gary, you want to start? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, I, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Um, I think it varies like impact in our work when we're looking at the client accounts or looking at 215 marketing. I mean, I think those kind of differ. I mean, usually when we're looking at client work, it's bottom line, you know, we're looking at what is the return on marketing spend uh, or return on advertising spend for our clients. Um, that's really probably our, our major KPI uh, for our company. You know, I think that's changed. I think it's changed a lot. I don't even want to say profit because our concern right now is not to stack profit in the bank, right? It's to grow to a point of, uh, I think that we're sustainable right now, but I think it's to a point that we're sustainable with uh, a very, very good core clientele. And I think we're still building our portfolio towards having, you know, again, those 20 accounts that are super solid, super stable. Um, and we're, we're getting close. Uh, but I think, yeah, to us, it's more about the stable and uh, how stable and sustainable our portfolio is at this point. Okay. Jack, what about for you? Is it pretty much the same or? Yeah. So um, I would say in the beginning, one of the most important things for us and really every single business is you have to be net cash flow positive unless you raise money or get some kind of loan. Um, that just essentially means that you're bringing in more money than you're spending. Because um, if you are not, then that's when your business stops. <laughs> being a business. Um, once you get past that, one of the things that I personally um, am really passionate about and what we do is that I see uh, what we're doing uh, with digital marketing automation and for entrepreneurs is we're, we've really developed a vehicle to defeat income inequality because there's a lot of research out there that says that entrepreneurship is one of the most effective things for a community to really, you know, change where the balance of wealth is. Um, because there's a huge imbalance currently. Um, so for instance, we have a client in Northern Liberties. Uh, his name is Malik Jackson. He runs a fitness boxing gym. He started out with us in uh, October and he's seen wild success. And a lot of that is due to just kind of his hustle. You know, he's one of those entrepreneurs that works seven days a week. And he just kind of posted on his uh, storefront that he um, will be taking off July 4th. So uh, good for him, he's <laughs> taking a day off finally. Um, but we've, we've spent, and I've personally spent uh, way more hours um, than what we've billed him for. And um, 
and that doesn't matter to me because his business is successful now and that's going to that it's going to create so many more opportunities for so many more people and so uh, Malik is someone who spent 10 years in prison you know he was arrested mm. when he was 16 years old um, and then he had entrepreneurship was essentially a necessity for him to generate income because it was very difficult for him to get jobs after being released from jail um, and just seeing that success story and what impact that has on our community. Wow. Um, that really, uh, that's one of the big wins for me. Yeah, I love that. Uh, thank you for sharing that as well. Uh, so can you both leave us with just one piece of actionable advice that a business owner can take to start growing past the small business stage uh, immediately? So if there's one thing that you think they can start with, what would that be? Uh, Jack, you can start. Oh, I think every business needs to validate their business model. So whatever their product or service offering is, is it something that the market actually wants or needs or is willing to pay the price that makes sense for you to uh, offer that product or service? Um, once you get past that stage, then I think it's um, one of the things I like to talk about a lot with entrepreneurs is business financing. Traditionally, uh, there's been two forms of business financing, equity and debt. Equity is where you have people buying ownership of the company in return for funds. Debt is getting loans from the bank, whatever it is, and there's good options there. But a new one that's kind of uh, grown in recent years is grants. Um, and so I would uh, advise any entrepreneur starting out has a small business has started to validate their business model to look at different grants available to them. Um, Cause those grants, that's just free money. And that's going to really help accelerate um, if you have a proven good business model. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that those resources are out there as well. So thank you for, for letting people know about that. Garrett, what about for you? What's one piece of actionable advice for business owners? Yeah. Um, well, you stole my uh, validate the business concept, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'll, um, I'll, I'll say something that I said on a previous podcast with actually another uh, Philadelphia podcast, Web Junto. Um, a lot of times when you're going into business and regardless of you're trying to validate the concept or whatnot, everyone's like, you have to pick a niche. You have to like niche, you know, figure it out and all this kind of stuff. Um, and everyone's really focused on that portion of it. But to kind of go off something that Jack said, um, I guess two questions ago, over delivering and sometimes not worrying about being billable, right? Like just over investing in the success of your customers or clients. Um, I think that's really where your mind has to be at. You just have to exceed and at least meet the expectations that you set out for your customers and clients. Um, if you do that, you will grow the business. Profitability probably won't be there in the, in the short term, but um, it's hard to fail when you're over delivering. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I, I want to thank everybody who is still watching or who will watch this webinar later today uh, for joining us. And hopefully you got some great advice from Garrett and from Jack about how to move your small business forward uh, to the next level. So uh, Garrett, if you want to tell people where they can find you and Jack, you can do the same. Yeah, sure. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me at Garrett at 215marketing.com. To learn more about our company, you can check out the website by marketing.com. Jack. Yeah, same here. I uh, invite anyone who has any questions or um, any kind of needs any kind of advice or wants help. Uh, my email is jack at trivitris, V-I-T-R-I-S.com. You can also just search Vitris or go to our website, trivitris.com. Learn a little bit more about us. 
Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for sharing your stories and sharing your great advice for business. Uh, this webinar was brought to you by Penji. We provide on-demand graphic design to businesses, startups, marketing teams, and agencies. So check us out as well at penji.co for more information. Also, the webinar will be available on Penji's website as well as our Facebook page so that people can watch it later. So another thank you to my guests, Garrett and Jack, for joining me. And to everyone else, have a safe and productive day.